0: Hi everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Tapie Rouge. I'm your host, Guillaume Cauchois, and today's shout-out goes to Michelle Viola from Virginia, who was the first one to find out our guest today, John Gilkey. Now, you guys were a lot to give the right guess, but Michelle literally commented on our Instagram within seconds after I posted I didn't even have time to post in our story, she already gave the right answer. Also, I was really happy to see that so many of you knew who John Gilkey was. I mean, obviously, if you're listening to this thing, you know who John Gilkey is. He indeed is a pillar of Cirque du Soleil's comedy. I would even dare to say that Cirque du Soleil's legacy wouldn't be the same without him. His style, influenced a whole generation of clowns, physical actors, and comedians. John really is a special artist, and I was lucky enough to spend time chatting with him about his career, his approach, and perception of comedy. So here he is, the legend, John Gilkey. John, (laughs) thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure.
1: Nice to nice to be here. Thank you so much for uh for having me. So how are you doing? Where are you at right now? What are you up to? I'm doing good. Um I'm in LA, Los Angeles, Hollywood. <laughs> and uh yeah, and uh I feel pretty good. Things are starting to maybe get back to normal, kind of for mm-hmm. us, you know. Uh, I'm teaching a bunch and we just uh Opened up a bunch of new classes. So we're, we're um, like right before the pandemic, we were offering eight classes a week, okay. and then, which was like the most we had grown into. And then we had to, of course, stop everything. And now, finally, we're almost back. We have six classes a week we're offering. And uh, it's kind of scary because we have to fill the classes, but uh, <laughs> but it's fun and exciting to get back on our feet. So, yes, That feels very good. And then I have my little projects that nobody knows about that I do here in my garage. (laughs) The secret stuff. (laughs) Yeah, the good stuff. (laughs) The dark (laughs) stuff. Super dark, yeah. No windows. uh, Deep into my darkest,
0: darkest soul. (laughs) No, that's not
1: true at all. That's not true at all.
0: So, John, you are an icon of comedy and... Clowning, and you started your first show with Cirque Soleil in 1996 with Kidam, right? That's right. And yeah. how, how did that happen? How, how were you approached by Cirque? How was that first Ooh. encounter creative process? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I mean, I approached
1: Cirque. I just, when you said that, I remember the very first time I tried to get into Cirque. It must have been 91 or 92, and I just cold called uh, the head office and tried to talk to Gilles (laughs) Sainte-Croix. You did? (laughs) And I tried to do it in French, and I couldn't speak any French. And I was just like, yeah, can I speak to Gilles Sainte-Croix? But they couldn't even understand the way I was pronouncing his name. That's how bad my French was. They didn't know who I was asking for. Uh, so I did not get through to
0: quote. That was my you first. <laughs> <laughs> you were just like, "Give me the boss. I want to talk to the boss right now."
1: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. I think I had told somebody, like my friend Andy, who who was always just like this super positive guy. He's always like, "Oh, why don't you just call them?" And I thought to myself, "Well, yeah, why don't I?" Well, that's why you don't call because then nobody's going to take your call. I mean, it's, it's pointless. <laughs> anyway, so that was ninety one. But then. Um, I I went to an audition in 95 here in Los Angeles, actually. Uh, And maybe I had called beforehand or sent a video to get accepted to the audition. But in any case, there I was, I was, I was down here in LA anyway, I was performing in a comedy club doing my little bits, Mm -hmm. you know, my little clowny clown bits and uh, drove across uh, LA to the, to the tent and auditioned in the tent. And, uh, I mean, I, I got super lucky. I got super lucky because there was, it was a, it was an audition for dancers and actors mm-hmm. combined. And in the beginning they had us all, I mean, at that time, I like, I didn't even consider myself either a dancer or an actor. I was like just this weird juggling moving guy. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what it was. I was an eccentric, whatever. So Doing the audition, they had us do in the beginning a whole bunch of choreography and I was just doing my best to keep up with the choreography. Really kind of just a catastrophe. I I spent more time like ducking people's arms and legs than actually doing the choreography, you know, (laughs) trying not to get hit or kicked or anything. And after about an hour of that shit. They said, okay, we're going to divide you up. We'll put the actors over here and the dancers over there. And I was like, oh, thank God. Thank God I, I survived the dance part. They'll put me in with the actors and I'll, I'll fake my way through that. Well, so they, they called off all the names of the actors. You guys go over there, but they didn't call my name. I said, so I, I raised my hand sheepishly. Hey, um, you, you want me to go with the actors, right? And they said, no, we want you to stay with the dancers. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> um... I was freaking out. I said, you sure? They said, yeah, yeah. We really like what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I was just
0: flailing. Um, So how did you feel? Were you just like, Oh yeah, I'm just, I'm just doing, I'm doing just right right now.
1: Well, you know, I mean, I was scared shitless for sure. I was definitely concerned about them keeping me for more dance, but it did, it did occur to me as soon as we started again, which I think at this point, there was a, it wasn't quite so much tight choreography they were, they were having us do. It was more improvisational. Mm-hmm. I did start to realize that the dancers were not as present and playful as I was able to be, you know? Like, for example, in an improvisation, you could tell they were sort of doing set combinations that they mm, had yeah. been doing forever. Me, I had nothing. I had absolutely nothing. So <laughs> I had to, you know, I had to invent. Uh, I had to be present. I had to be there, you know, I had to play with what little I had and that, that contrast of, of me being kind of lost, but still playful and present with it against some of the dancers who were amazing, but were maybe not as playful, Mm. maybe not as open, not as free either, not as free, maybe, maybe not as original. That contrast really helped me a lot. And, um, I mean, I remember the casting director, Nicolette Nome. she came up to me a couple of times and just, she would whisper in my ear, just keep doing what you're doing. (laughs) Like, well, what am I doing? I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so I survived that. They they whittled us down to like uh, two or three of us at the end. You know, they, I was, I was one of the last people standing.
0: And And how are the the dancers looking at you? What are they like? What what is this guy doing here? Like, (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, so I, uh, this is absolutely true.
1: So I, I I came off stage after we had to do like an individual um, improvisation where we just sort of crossed the stage. Right. And up one at a time, one at a time, one at a time. I was pretty much towards the end, the last person to go. I did my thing. I had like two minutes to do your bit. And then you exit stage, right? Sit down in the audience. The guy who was really hot shit guy. I think he was in cats, which at that time was a big deal. Um, (laughs) he's in cats. He leans over to me and he goes, that was perfect. he's just another auditioner, right? (laughs) That was perfect. And I'm like, okay, okay. I mean, I, you know, (laughs) so, uh, you know, I mean, I did feel like, you know, I studied Cirque for a long time. Like when I first saw them, it was 87, 1987, uh, it was the very first show, Cirque Rien or I guess maybe that was technically the second show. Mm-hmm. It was the first show they, they brought to the States. Um, Cirque Invante, this guy named Marc Pru. Marc Prue, was in the, the lead, like the head, like the lead personage, you mm-hmm. know, he's the lead character basically. Um, and this guy blew me away. It was like, oh, that's what I want to do, you know. I was already in Circus, but I, I wasn't in, at Cirque de Soleil. And so, for like that was eighty-seven. For like the next eight, nine years, everything I did was focused on learning all the things I needed to learn to be a, a, a personage okay. at Cirque. So, once I was there in that audition, and I kind of saw, okay, this is what the dancers are doing. This is what they're missing. I've been doing all this, all this training for eight, nine years. I did feel like a sudden instantaneous um, uncharacteristic feeling of confidence did come over me at one point
2: Mm
1: -hmm. where where I'm like, you know what? I fucking worked for this thing. I'm just going to pretend I know what I'm doing. I'm going to own this thing and just fucking go for it. Yeah. And I, and I think when I was able to make that shift, yeah, that, that made propelled me i suppose to Mm -hmm. to to the top in in many ways i suppose you took ownership of your power basically literally yeah which i had never done since then and rarely uh, before that and rarely have I done it since then (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: Uh, so that was quite the experience i'll tell you and do you think artists today they would have the same approach with casting Do you think it would still work
1: um that to like own the confidence to to like um
0: fake the confidence as I did that mm-hmm. part of it or mm-hmm. yeah, and just to just I think so, I mean not, that's so like follow point. the not follow the guideline, not follow the box that you're being put in and yeah yeah, yeah you gotta do you you know you gotta be yourself,
1: you gotta find a way to do your thing, and exactly you gotta own the stage, man you just you gotta fucking own the stage mm-hmm. and it's just too that space, you know, particularly like, well, it's true of the the permanent shows too, but I'm thinking now of the tent, which is just mm-hmm. so massive, 2,500 people, almost totally in the round. I mean, you, you, you have to, there's just no room for doubt if you're a personage, mm-hmm. I think there's no room for doubt. You just have to go out there and fucking own, own the room. Yeah. And as it turns out, you can kind of fake it. <laughs> you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So now it's the end of the audition. You you go all the way through the end and you say there were only three people left. Something like that. Yeah, I don't remember exactly. But yeah. And they said,
1: We'll we'll contact you. Okay. And and um Nicolette, uh, she gave me her phone number, she said call me if you need anything, you know. So after a few months, I hadn't heard anything, so I, I would call. and and talk to Nicolette and she would say, Oh yeah, we're still very interested in you, but we just don't know yet. And that happened a couple of times, every couple of months or something I would reach out to her. And finally, about, uh, 10, 11 months later. Wow. It's a long time to wait. Yeah. Still they hadn't made any kind of an offer to me. And I had an offer from somewhere else to go play, uh, circus circus. Okay, in, yeah. In Reno, Nevada. Not even Las Vegas, but in Reno. <laughs> okay. Uh which is not, you know, for me that would have been like a good gig at that moment, mm-hmm. but not like the perfect gig, you know. Yeah. And um but I was going to I decided, you know, I told the guy I would take the gig in Reno and he was going to send out a contract to me. The contract didn't arrive. Days went by, it didn't arrive, didn't arrive. Finally, it arrived, FedEx, and I t- I'm not making this, uh, this up. Literally, I had the contract in front of me, opened up to the page where I had to sign it. I had my pen in hand. I was just about to sign it, and I would have closed it and sent it FedEx back to him. I'm about to sign it, literally about to sign it, and the phone rings, and it's Nicolette from Cirque du and she says, we want you to come to Montreal for a workshop with Franco Dragone. Oh my god! This is crazy. Oh, oh my, it's crazy. I'm like, oh my god, what the fuck? Um. So now it wasn't it wasn't a job offer, but it was like, you know, basically a callback audition, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, well, I called this guy from from uh, Reno. His name is Mark McGuire, not the baseball player from the '90s or whatever it was. <laughs> but he was very sweet, and he he understood. And I mean, I'm so grateful to this guy to this day. Cause he said, look, I get it. You know, you gotta go do that. It's a killer
0: gig. That's very unusual to have someone that's so understanding. It's like, okay, I'll let you go. No problem. Um, oh my God.
1: Yeah. still, I'm just, I can't, th- this guy was incredible. He said, well, f- it'll be a pain in the butt for me, but I'll figure it out. Go, mm-hmm. go, go do your thing. And yeah, I went, uh, you know, it was like a week or two later. I went to Montreal, did like a two day workshop that night uh, after the, the second day.
0: They called me up and said,
1: we want to offer you the gig.
0: Amazing. Yeah. And then that was for what was going to be Kidam. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Ah, It's amazing. And then from that moment on, it was just how how many years did you do? I did Kidam for three years. Okay.
1: Just three years. Yeah. Um, We did, I did the North American tour. And then I did the first city on the European tour, which is Amsterdam, and mm-hmm. then the premiere
0: of the second city, Berlin, and then handed it off. Okay. Rolled. yeah. And how was it, the first couple of shows, like the first experience going on tour with Cirque and the show in that iconic role that you created for the show? It was a dream
1: come true, man. I mean, I, it was, I, mean, I got so lucky in so many ways, you know. Um, the only bummer was a couple of, I don't know if it was the end of rehearsals right before we opened, maybe it was like the preview or something like that. I was just going on stage to start the show and I realized, Oh crap. I'm never going to get to see this show. I'm i am in it. So <laughs> I don't get to see a certain newest show. I, I fucked that up. <laughs> um, but other than that, it was all good. You know, I, I was extremely lucky. I got there at Cirque, right? It was 96. They hadn't completely blown up yet. They were popular and they were very strong. They only had one show in Vegas. Okay. There was a lot of focus on the development of Kidam. They weren't distracted because they weren't making multiple shows, Mm -hmm. right? And the artists were still at that point, very well looked after. And and, and, uh, we were...
0: I, had, I was given a lot of creative freedom. Oh, yeah, that was going to be my next question. How was the creative process within? I hit the
1: jackpot. you know. Like they told me before I went to Montreal for rehearsals, they said, don't bring any of your, any of your material. Don't bring your old bits. Don't bring your props, your costume. We, don't, we won't need any of that. Everything is going to be new. But about hmm. two weeks into rehearsal, Franco said, hey, I want to see everything you can do. So, okay, so I called my mom and had her ship all my shit out and showed him all my bits. And um, he loved, he just, he, for whatever reason, he, he just really was into me, you
0: know, and he loved all my bits. So I had like full support. And did you end up keeping some of your previous material and integrating that in the show?
1: Yeah, uniquely so. I had the same character. Well we can speak about that a little bit, but the same look for sure. Okay. Um, like my hair and my makeup were essentially the same. They certified the makeup. So it was yeah. more dramatic, but it was more or less the same that I, that I, what I brought was more or less the same as what it became. My costume, they used my costume, uh, two of my costumes, actually. Oh. They updated them slightly for Cirque, but, but the cut uh, was essentially the same. Um, and then my bits, yeah, the coat rack bit, you know, the hat rack, the dance with the hat rack that I'd I'd been doing already, the darts I'd been doing already. Um, the, where I roll the hoop, the sesso, yes, this we developed, um, in rehearsal. So that I didn't bring already. Okay. Um, so, and that was, that was, that was amazing that they, they let me do my old stuff. So I had a very... You know, I had a strong because I'm because I was performing my own material and that I, that had been developing for a while. Of course, it was very close to me that material. Yes, so I had a very strong emotional connection to the show because because of that nine year preparation that I gave myself, my dream all the material that I brought with me that was from my heart. I didn't have to please anybody in developing yeah. material. Uh, yes, for sure. Right. So I, I, that's why I say I hit the lottery. You know, I, I, I got to do what I wanted to do, you know, and, and Franco dug what I offered, you know, so all the things that I developed when I was there, all the movement and, mm-hmm. and uh, passages and all of these things, he was well, not hidden like everything, but I mean,
0: you know, so he was really acting more as a support for you. It was more like I love what you do. So I'm I'm here to support your participation to the show. And he was like more like placing your moments in different places in the show. And that's it. But he didn't really like push you in one direction, and say, Oh, do this a certain way, or
1: yeah, there was no script whatsoever. The, the way he would push me was he did the the, the primary um change in terms of character was I was playing a bit more status, uh, a bit more low status before Cirque. And he pushed me into a higher status, stronger okay. position. That was the major change, which was a big change. Um, you know, I was sort of like a sweet kind of little bit lost, you know, clown type mm-hmm. character. And then he pushed me into more like a ringmaster type, you know, for yes. more power. Exactly. More leadership exactly um and then of course i mean he was giving me direction the whole time well as, as he was everybody in the show mm-hmm. um but i never felt like there was anything
0: imposed on me yeah it's amazing that sounds like the dream creative process really it was it totally was yeah and then you start you go on tour you start performing the shows before getting into sick. have you done that many shows Like performing 10 shows, 10 shows, 10 shows, 10 shows.
1: No, no, I never had had a schedule. Well, I did the the Wintergarten Varieté. Yes, in Berlin. Uh, Yeah, in Berlin, the year before I joined Cirque. And that was seven days a week. I can't remember how many shows we were doing. But that was just for three months or something.
2: mm
1: -hmm. Right. So, but yeah, at at Cirque, doing the 10 shows a week, six days a week, for an extended, extended period of time was super challenging. Yeah. Yeah, how did you experience that? Uh, different waves of, um, of challenges, I think, arise, you know. Um, in the beginning, when everything's new and you're trying to work things out, even though, like, my material, a bunch of it was already, you know, quote-unquote proven before I arrived, there was still a bunch of stuff that was new and there was a pre-show that was new that I was trying to develop, you know? So for sure having 10 shows a week to, to refine your material is, is a gift, Mm -hmm. you know, like, Oh, it didn't go so well this time you try something else the next show or the next day. If you're not performing, if you're only performing a couple of times a week, it takes forever to develop material. Yeah. You don't have as many opportunities for sure. Yeah. So that was super good so like it felt like the first you know six months or so you're just always rehearsing and rewriting and tweaking so that's super fun and and challenging and sometimes frustrating sometimes you'll have a, a thing that's working really well a laugh you'll get it you'll get a laugh that's working superbly and suddenly one day it'll stop I don't know if you, you've ever <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's like, wait, this how come they used to love this? What have I changed? And then you're yes. racking your brain, like what? Mm, yeah. what? And then you start to blame other people. Oh, it's the light,
0: <laughs> sound. Yes. Oh, it's the, yeah, it's the audience. The audience is bad. It's their fault, not my fault. Yeah, or the audience? This city sucks. <laughs> yes, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's this
1: city's fault that my lap isn't working. Um and then and then like once it sets in, you know, like the show sets in and it's more consistent. I think as an actor, this is true for all actors doing live theater. It's always the question of, well, how do I recreate this thing tonight? How do I make it fresh tonight? So you start to, you know, search for all the ways to to um, to make it new for you. What are all the new ways to sort of motivate yourself to tweak to tweak your intentions, your your motivations. Um, in order to yeah, keep discovering and, uh, and keep it fresh, mm-hmm. and that's a super like legitimate challenge, which is mostly
0: fun. Yeah, did you have in mind the cultural differences around the world while you were creating the show to to know like oh you you're an American you have a certain style of humor? Did you have in mind like oh I'm gonna have to perform this show in? Different countries, different languages, different cultures. So I have to find a way to reach all of them, or you didn't took that in consideration at all.
1: Uh, I didn't think about that very much. I was when we were creating the show, I'd only signed a two year contract, and I was you know expecting just to be in the states. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and with that show, I did not travel enough internationally to worry about it too much. There was some difference i suppose city to city in the states but so i would make minor adjustments sometimes Mm -hmm. but even then i'm not sure if you know my my take was valid or or i mean there's so many factors there's so many different things that could be yes for sure leading to things playing differently not just the audience um you know, we're in the tent, So, for example, so weather was huge. Yes, for sure. I, used, I, I found that um, it was really important for me before the show just to acknowledge the time of day and the weather. Uh,
0: and I would allow that to affect the way I played. Huh. Like you, you mean like the, the temperature, if it was heavy rain and poof, like sounds and stuff like that?
1: Yeah, exactly. Because I figured, well, look, everybody's going to be experiencing the same weather on their way to the, to the tent. The entire audience, right? So this is a unifying factor. Mm -hmm. So, for example, like on a misty, foggy night, I'd be like, I'd play it super mysterious, you know, and kind (laughs) of like, you know. Um, And if it's a super hot, uncomfortable day, and they, even though they've got the air conditioning on, but if it's super uncomfortable, okay, I might, I might pick up the tempo a little bit you know
0: mm, might okay to, yeah i understand keep
1: this thing moving cuz uh it's a little bit where everybody's a little too comfortable or or uncomfortable because of the heat but um unfocused maybe is what what they mm-hmm. feel like because of the heat um so yeah i mean and rain you know okay they're going to be a little annoyed when they get here yeah they're going to be wet uh the traffic was crappy so you know i'm going to just kind of particularly like in the pre-show, I'm going to be just a bit more sensitive to, mm. to people and not be maybe so aggressive or or antagonizing with people because they've just been in the rain.
0: Maybe um, much, a little bit more warm and yeah. welcoming. Like, finally, we're all here. Everything is fine now. We're going to have a good time. We're going to share this moment together. Like, Yeah. As
1: opposed to sometimes, you know, I, I want to take the audience like, on a friday a late show friday night or saturday night it's date night and i can be a little bit more crazy a little bit more wild and, and more challenging and, and yeah uh, you know antagonistic and uh, playfully antagonistic but mm-hmm. yeah yeah so those kinds of things for sure i was always adjusting
0: okay yeah and so you stayed you did a whole the first year of creation in the first two years of tours and what uh, was three, it? Years three years of tours.
1: Yeah, because for you know, you probably know this, but for like for the clowns and characters, they they bring us in for creation later than all the acrobats. So I was only there for three months of creation. Oh yeah, that's right. Right. So so in fact, I my whole contract was like three years and four months
0: or something like that. Um, with three years of touring. Yeah. Okay. And at the end of that period, did you did you choose to leave or did Cirque invited you to do a new creation?
1: I chose to leave. I was burnt by then. I was super burnt out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think you can, well, I, maybe you can't see it on the video. I can see it on the video. You know, we shot the video, um, of Kidam literally my last like three, four days doing oh, this. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. And I was like completely like just, super burnt just trying to keep it together (laughs) to do and barely (laughs) kept it together for the video. But like, it's pretty dry. Uh, when I look at it, I feel like that. Mm. Um, so wait, what did you ask me? I don't know why I'm talking about that.
0: (laughs) That that if it was your choice to leave or Uh, Cirque invited you for the next show.
1: Yeah, no, there was no invitation for the next show. Um, it was just time for me to try something new, but then, you know, soon after I left, they, they invited me to do some corporate show, corporate gigs.
0: Mm-hmm. Special events.
1: Special events, yeah. And then there was a TV show that they asked me to be a part of pretty quickly. Um, like six months after I left, they asked me to do this oh, Okay, show. Yeah, which nobody knows about. You wanna know about this? Is this Solstrom? No. No? Then what no, is it? Nobody knows about this shit.
0: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Our partner in this episode is Circus Talk, the online carrier marketplace for circus and the performing arts. Circus Talk is the new thing that is great for our international circus community. It is an amazing information resource, bringing news, events and industry trends to us, professionals working in the field. What also makes Circus Talks amazing is their first online casting platform that connects talents and talent seekers in circus and performing arts if you're a talent seeker you can finally post jobs and auditions in a professional and transparent way instead of using social media accounts there are already over 28,000 artist profiles on circus talk that talent seekers can search while talents can find jobs and apply to them via the Circus Talk platform. You can get your first month free on both Circus Talk talent and Talent Seeker Pro membership by using the promo code Tapirouge in one word. So go to circustalk.com, sign up to PRO and use the code Tapirouge to find your spotlight with our partner, Circus Talk. Alright guys, a little side story now back in 2014, I hurt my back training backstage before a show. The pain was so intense, I couldn't put my socks on, sit for more than two minutes, and obviously, it took me out of the show for quite some time. I followed a strict core rehabilitation program, and after six weeks, I got back on stage, but I kept having recurring pain. So I started to educate myself about core anatomy, rehab training, and pain science. I wanted to understand why am I doing all these exercises if the pain keeps coming back. The more I was learning, the more I understood I had to change. I started switching exercises, tweak some techniques and executions, and also completely changed my perception of pain. After a couple of weeks, on top of reducing considerably my pain level, I was feeling so much stronger, which increased my confidence to move And better perform on stage. My life overall was so much better. Finally I was pain free and not scared to hurt my back again. I had a lot of artists and athlete friends who saw that happening and asked me, hey what did you do for your back? And I thought I could put it all out in a clear and clean way instead of always pulling random videos on YouTube and giving quick guidance. So I reached out to all the best doctors, physiotherapists, and performance medicine specialists whom I met touring and asked them to help me develop Protocol Cut to the Core. Protocol Cut to the Core is the first rehab and strengthening protocol for back or hip pain that also includes a comprehensive course in core anatomy, biomechanics, and pain science. It is approved by doctors, physios, and performance medicine specialists from five different countries. If you are suffering from acute or persistent back or hip pain, you can find protocol Cut to the Core on our website at cuttothecorefitness.com. When movement is an issue, movement is the solution. And now, let's get back to the show.
1: Before Solstrom there was a contract with, um, you know, a a Montreal based TV station. um, And we were going to do, it was going to be a live variety show. Okay. And originally they, there were, they wanted to have three hosts and they were going to choose three clowns from Cirque shows. So I was one of those three clowns. Okay. Um, And then that kind of changed slightly. And then it was, then then I guess it was a different set of three clowns, but I was still in mm-hmm. there. I was still in there. And they hired writers and we had I had an office. The only time in my life I've had like an actual <laughs> office job. And we we wrote um, I don't know, half a dozen shows, okay, which, which would have been yeah, performed live. Uh they would have we would have been hosting it, doing comedy bits, and then we would have had some variety acts coming in. Mm-hmm. Um And there was a lot of pretty neat stuff that we came up with. But uh, before we ever got to shoot anything, the TV station uh, was bought and sold. Oh, really? Yeah. And so Daniel Lamar was the, as I understood it, Daniel Lamar was the president of the TV station. Oh, really? And when it was bought and sold, he moved over to CERC. Ah. and that was where that relationship well I don't know if it actually started there when we were doing that TV show if it, if it predated that or not but there was definitely he was a part of that TV show and then they re kind of figured everything and, and the new version became Solstrom
0: okay so they at least they didn't nip it in the, in the bud they like transformed did they use a lot of stuff that you no, nothing. came up with nothing nothing nothing, nothing not That I still have the scripts
1: I still have the script if anybody wants to uh, pay me top dollar for those. Yeah, you should auction these, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, There was supposed to be, like, at one point, David Shiner was maybe going to be in it, Mm -hmm. Renee Bazinet, and uh, Michel Cortemanche was also going to be in it.
0: Yeah, so top the tippy tops nothing but the tops
1: those guys and then (laughs) me as
0: well as well at the cherry on the top of the top
1: no I snuck in (laughs) I don't know what I was doing with those guys but I was there Um, but yeah that was a bummer we never got to shoot it because there was some pretty pretty fun stuff that we had
0: yeah and so in between Solström and Varikai what did you what did you do you came back
1: um well, so so after they canceled the TV show, before Solstrom and before Varakai, I was still there in Montreal. I was in the the head studio, stretching out on a mat, just hanging out, yeah, literally just hanging out. <laughs> a casting agent walks by, and she says, uh, "Hey, John, uh, uh, we're 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 we're, we're uh, scrambling." Um, the, the, clowns in Dralian, they want to leave, uh, and then they're, they're going to leave in two weeks. We thought we had more time, but it's going to be two weeks. They're going to leave. Do you know anybody who could replace them? And I said, uh, yeah, let me just think on it. Let me think on it. Mm-hmm. And she, she walks on and, uh, 10 minutes later, she comes back. Hey John, um, uh, <laughs> could you do it? Could you do it? And, and I, um, I said, well, uh, and I just, you know, I'd just come off tour six months before. Yeah. Maybe it was nine months by this time. And um, I wasn't really ready to go back on tour. But, you know, the challenge of making a couple of acts, you know, in a couple of weeks was fun. Yes. But mostly I, what I said was, can I do it with a, a, a partner? Because I wanted to work with somebody. I, I Okay. You know, I was a soloist in Kidam, you know. Yeah. And I wanted to work with a partner. And I had two people in mind. And she said, uh, "Well, let me check. That's probably okay." So, I think she then she came back, you know, later that day. She said, "Okay, yeah, who who, who would you want to work with?" And I had these two people that I was, you know, a, an old friend of mine and and kind of a new friend,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, they had both had auditioned, you know, at some point for Cirque. So they were actually They're one of already yeah. worked for Cirque. Uh, Lorenzo Pazzoni had already. Worked in um, Myster at that point, I think. Okay. Anyway, so they said, yeah, you can work with a partner. And so I thought about it and I said, okay, I'm going to work with Gonzalo, who I had just hung out with in New York. And I said, oh, we made these dreams like, oh, one day we can work together and do a show together, yeah. you know. And then like a week, two weeks later, I was calling him up saying, hey, we got a gig, man. We can do
0: that's amazing! That's awesome. Sure. <laughs> what? No That's incredible. Yeah, we've got two weeks to make uh, to build two acts. So you flew from New York to Montreal,
1: and then you just started working right away. I flew from Montreal to New York. I slept on his floor in <laughs> Brooklyn for a couple of weeks. We would go to this this uh, kind of like derelict, closed down school, and and rehearse in this cold room full of pigeon shit and um and developed these two bits and then we came back and uh showed those for the top brass at cirque and they were uh they were good enough
0: but so you didn't have to go on the and just replace the clown follow the same track they were okay for you to come and to bring your own material and to do your own stuff once again, I, I hit the, the, the jackpot, you know, like, wow, it's amazing. Yeah. Les Voilà did not want
1: to, they were the previous clowns. They didn't want mm-hmm. to, to give their material to other people. Totally understand. Uh, yes, for sure. So uh, we brought new material. Yes. And we were pretty bad in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they were to this day, those two numbers were by far the stupidest thing I've ever done on stage. <laughs> And I couldn't believe any, t- every time, you know, they would give me a royalty check for that, for those acts. Yeah. I would like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> They're still doing these acts. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they were beautiful. They were actually very beautiful little numbers, um, but they were very silly, very silly. And... Um, well, how long did you did you stay on Dralion with your partner? Well, so I, I had it, you know, I said that was one of the stipulations of the contract was, you know, I told them I didn't want to go back out on tour. So I said, can I do it for six months and then we'll replace me? And then the, the new person and my partner will continue to perform it. So I was just there for six months.
0: But but they ended up keeping off your material. That's right. For the for the duration of Dralion. So That's I amazing. left after only you, so you did the act brought them in on your, for just six months, and then they kept the, I gave you the royalties.
2: Yes, yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> My God, it's amazing. <laughs> I tell you, uh, it was different back then. It was different back then.
0: Um, I was very lucky, yeah. I read on your website that you also worked as a comedy consultant for Ratatouille. Yeah, that gets a little exaggerated, but...
1: I mean, I did. To this day, I don't know how much of an influence I had on that. I only went in for like one or two days. The way they work, it's not like um, motion capture where they put the ping pong balls on you and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's not that. But I did go in and they had several. They had a lot of physicality, a lot of physical comedy that they wanted to do. And so they thought, well, they'll bring me in and they'll have me improvise some of these different characters okay. and they'll film me. Yeah. They'll film me and then they'll get inspired and they'll kind of see what, what might work, what might not work. Um, so I did that once or twice. And yeah, some of the definitely some of the things that I proposed made it into the movie. And that one character, Linguini. Mm hmm everybody says, Oh, that's, that's totally you, you know, and everybody assumes that I was like motion capture guy for that entire thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't, (laughs) but I don't know, like, I don't know how much, you know, I don't know if that character changed, you know, from the day I was there on, do they have one idea or not? So anyway, I, I just don't know. Like, yeah, it sounds cool. I worked on that movie, but I don't want anybody to get the idea that I was like, a huge part
0: of it but I, I wonder how was the your creative process like was it was it a very just i'm going to go kind of similarly to your very first edition i'm going to go i'm not going to prepare anything and you just follow the flow when you once you were there or were you given elements about the characters and like direction beforehand
1: yeah i was given some information beforehand so i could i could think about it and i, I had some thoughts some ideas i wanted to bring in um this guy's French, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I my memory is, and I could be wrong, but my memory is that when when the when um uh, what's the rat's name um um Remy yeah Remy goes underneath the clothes and he's trying to like hit him with the spatulas and stuff. Yes, I, my memory is that that was my proposal. Okay, but I uh, don't don't. Uh, don't bet your life on it. But so, so, things like that, I brought in, um, cause I know they had him like in the hat underneath yes. the chef's hat, like that they had controlling me, mm-hmm. but I thought I had, I think that might cause I had this idea also that I would like maybe take a knife and be trying to like, <laughs> trying to stab him, but that's a bit too gruesome. <laughs> so they didn't, they didn't go for that. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was definitely collaborative, you know, they try this, try that. Once I was there and,
0: they had some props and some costumes for me. It was super fun. And do you approach all this type of work with comedy differently? Or do you have your own way and you make your own way work with every creative project? Hmm. I'd like to think I'm pretty open. and, and not, um,
1: I'm definitely open to trying new things. I suppose as I get older, I tend to be put in more leadership type roles. Mm -hmm. and in that case then yeah i'm bringing my experience and and the ways that i know work for me Mm -hmm. um i think i'm getting more of that kind of work these days Mm
0: -hmm. yeah and what makes you laugh is there any comedy comedians or comics that you look up for what what do you like in terms of comedy that's a good question
1: um i mean certainly when i was young uh, when I was a teenager, I got turned on to Buster Keaton. Mm-hmm. So he was a huge influence early on. Later I got into Chaplin, but but I got into Keaton first. Um, when I was a kid, I was super into, this is the seventies now. I was into Steve Martin and dare I say, Bill Cosby problematic for now, but mm-hmm. Bill Cosby and George Carlin and Gallagher in, in the in eighties. The and, um, so lots of stand up comedians yes um <clears throat> my first circus was with the pickle family circus that was in the eighties and it was like a a hippie one ring mm-hmm. yeah. you know animal circus yeah, and we were in a theater festival, and I saw this show with a that was with this uh this guy uh bolek polivka who's um actor clown guy um And that changed everything for me. This guy was so good. It's a very theatrical show, but it's very clown uh, mentality. Mm -hmm. Very playful. Um, Beautiful show. There's a queen. It's just two characters, the the queen and the fool. In fact, that's what it was called, the fool and the queen. Um, And um, it was such a beautiful show. It just sort of broke, you know, the fourth wall in a beautiful way. And Mm -hmm. was funny and silly and, and and. and uh, heartfelt and tragic and
2: mm-hmm.
1: all these beautiful things that sort of gave me uh, the the idea of of um, the breadth with which mm-hmm. you can you can perform clown with, an, with a with a wide breadth of, of emotion really right it's not just mm-hmm. comedy but there's like so much potential within clown this full spectrum of 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 performance that really attracts me to it so Mm -hmm. he was like the first person who turned me on to that these days i'm not seeing too much um well my one of my students and and co-performers recently in la she has a netflix special now okay it's called nate n-a-t-e okay check it out yeah her name is natalie Mm palomides i didn't have anything to do with the show except that you know, she used to take classes with me and and you know perform with me. And there's a lot of, I don't know if I'm being selfish, but I definitely see a lot of the kind of things that we were doing. Yes, that, that spirit is in in her show. So mm-hmm. that would give you an idea of, of what I like. And yes, I think it's killer what she's doing.
0: Oh uh, yeah, I'll, I'll look I'll look at her for sure. Yeah. And do you see any difference between modern comedy and comedy from let's say 25 years ago yeah i wonder though if i can speak about it intelligently
1: i mean it's a really good question i don't want to i don't want to say like i want to be careful about this uh because i'm i I can come off old and bitter which i am a little bit like (laughs) you know i'm a little jaded right there's some of (laughs)
2: um
1: in fact, there's probably a lot of that. Um, it, I don't, I don't know how to say it. Like, well, I mean, let me. I, if you're, I can explore this with you a little bit. So, yes, absolutely. Meaning, this is not necessarily what I believe. So, I'm trying to figure this out, right? I'm just kind of exploring what I believe. Okay. So, for you and for anybody listening, it's not that Ah Gilkey said this, but. People <laughs> keeps probably. wondering about this, right? Yes. Um, so essentially, I'm thinking out loud. There does seem to f- f- be a, a sense of um, of instant gratification, a need for instant gratification. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there does so there lacks some. Uh, there does seem to be some depth lacking, and some of this breadth that I was speaking about, into, when I was talking about Bolek Polifka and the Fool and the Queen. Where there's so often, you know, just the joke for the sake of the laugh. Yeah. But I, I believe that there are different, you know, flavors of laughter, and and not every laugh is healthy. I believe. Yeah. So sometimes when I watch comedy, and I guess I'm thinking more about stand-up now, which in fact mm-hmm. I haven't been watching very much of lately because I'm so mm-hmm. bored by it. But I, I, I'm often left wanting more you know more depth or because I'm a clown you mm-hmm. know one way to so so again talking about like mm-hmm. stand-up comedy because it's so important because it's so unpopular here in the states right that's yes. it's the most common form of comedy in the states except for sitcoms or something on TV mm-hmm. right the thing about stand-up comedy that's different from let's say clown or one way that it's different is like the the stand up comedian tells the joke, and the clown is the joke, right? That's one yeah. very oversimplified way to say it. Mm-hmm. So, I really appreciate comedians who are able to um, to be vulnerable and to be to reveal in themselves, to reveal themselves in their comedy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Um, and I always tell like my students, I tell them that the more the more you can be you, the more you can like dial into to you as an individual. The more universal you'll become. There's a
0: there's a there's a paradox there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I'm. You think because they the audience can feel that that humanity and that um, that vulnerability that they offer on stage, so because they're accepting to be vulnerable on stage. They create a space where they allow the audience to be to feel close. Yeah. To them. Exactly. So it's less about the idea,
1: the comic idea, and more about the human the human experience. Mm -hmm. Right. Um and that that's difficult to find, you know, it's there's it's very difficult to find, partly because there aren't many stages that will allow you to develop that. Yeah, for sure. Takes time and Takes time, and you need an audience to figure that out. And who wants to sit through that shit? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's why you know stand-up comedians only get three minutes, you know, on an open mic night because nobody can stand to watch more than yeah, three yeah. minutes
0: of of, of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and what about the comedy in Cirque? You, you obviously you've been doing comedy in Cirque since such a long time, and I assume you saw the evolution of comedy in Cirque. Do you? What do you think about the weight? evolves through the different shows over the years?
1: Um, is anybody actually going to listen to this? Do people actually listen to this? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what do I say here? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I think be really be, be honest, be honest. Okay. To, so
1: for sure, I haven't seen what, what I'm going to say isn't totally fair. Cause I haven't seen really enough. I have not mm-hmm. seen enough of the more current recent shows.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I've seen a few things okay um cl- you know clown has this this um clown has the 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 uh, the potential or even the mandate to subvert mm-hmm. okay it's not there just to be sweet it's not there just to get any old laugh okay mm-hmm. the beauty of clown is that when it's done well which is difficult for all of us, uh, when it's done well, it does a very good job of subverting, uh, power. Okay. Of, of, of a, uh, of assumptions of, um, of, um, yeah. And, and it clown is essentially a trickster. The trickster comes, the job of the trickster is to, as, uh, Lewis Hyde says in his book, Um, trickster makes this world he talks about the trickster the role of the trickster in society is to write uh, a society that's out of balance right Mm -hmm. okay so you can say this is true of all comedians as well right they're there to kind of give the truth you know to tell it like Mm -hmm. it is okay
2: yeah
1: um so it's not really different from a stand-up comedian to a clown but that means you've got to be bold and you have to take chances and uh you can't play it safe yeah just like if you're going to think about um, uh, Dave Chappelle, right? This guy is yes. you know walking up to the line and for some people walking over the line. Well, we should be doing this in Clown as well. And I think there's no reason why we can't be doing it in a family show. In such, mm-hmm. You can layer a performance in such a way that the kids see one thing and the adults see another, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or they see the full depth yes, of it. for sure, yes. Yeah. Right. So I think there's more work to do. I think there's more that we can say with the clowning at Cirque and there's more work to do to, um, to, to be a bit edgier uh, and, and to push, to push, push, push. Um, for me it's too safe. Yeah. Um, Look, the way Franco—I'll I'll come back to something that Franco Dragone told me when we were doing Larev, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. right? So he said to me one day, "The only reason he can get away with the um, the pretentiousness of, you know, the grandiosity of such an extravagant show as Larev or any sort of Soleil show, okay, this applies mm-hmm. to any show. The only way he, as a director, can get away with." Such, you know, dripping, beautiful people and, and this whole incredibly multimillion dollar, you know, world that he creates, which is pretentious. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only way he can get only, the only way he can keep that from being pretentious. The only way he can keep it from spilling over into pretension is to have the clowns be the counterpoint. That's the role of the clown is to show the, um, to give the underside, the Mm -hmm. underbelly, Mm -hmm. the antithesis of, of this incredible beauty. Mm -hmm. And if, if you only infuse the clowns with just as much sweetness and beauty and, and, and loftiness as everything else, then the whole thing tips towards pretension. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, (laughs) the other way to look at it was like, um, you know, my friend Lorenzo Pizzoni used to say like the, the circus is you go to the circus and it's all, you know, all the acrobats, it's basically all these heroes or gods, right? All Mm -hmm. the acrobats, these are gods literally flying through the air, many of them, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And so the role of the clown is to be the, the, the human, the, the, the terrestrial, right? Mm-hmm. Is to be the thing that doesn't quite fit, to be the, the mundane, to be the... So, okay, anyway, I'm preaching now, I'm preaching, but, but you yes. know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. So you have to allow for that. You have to allow for that contrast and that juxtaposition. Mm -hmm. And that'll give you that again, that brings us back to the breadth that we were talking Mm. about. Yes. In this case of the whole show, not just of the clown. Okay. Mm -hmm. You got
0: to shut me up here. You got me going. No, it's good. (laughs) And uh, we, I'm thinking about this now, but we had Steve on the show a couple of weeks ago and uh, he told us you, you guys were neighbors.
1: Yes. How much did he tell you? What did he tell you? <laughs> no, I did not hear the episode. So.
0: He he told he told us you hated him because his dogs are out of control. <laughs> he told you that I hated him. Yeah, he said, um, oh, my dogs are barking all day. You must be
1: hating me. Uh, there is one of his dogs that is not the cutest dogs in the neighborhood. <laughs> the cutest dog in the neighborhood. <laughs> one of his dog dogs does have a particularly annoying. And continuous, <laughs> nonstop fucking yap that will not stop. And it drives me fucking nuts. So, <laughs> other than that, uh, Steve O is very sweet, and uh, his fiancee, Lux, she's very sweet. And mm. um, he's actually he's, he's made some adjustments to the dog.
0: <laughs> Just so that the dog is is doing fine now.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, I have a one last question for you. Sure. Um, if tomorrow aliens would land <laughs> on Earth, how would you explain Cirque du Soleil to them?
1: Uh,
0: excellent, excellent question. Does everybody get this question? Yes,
1: everybody. Fantastic. um how would I? Wait a second. What? <laughs> um, wait to an alien? Yes. Um, okay. uh, um, but an alien doesn't know. Okay, I gotta. Okay, I just have to say it. Um, I'll stop making excuses. Uh, what would I say to an? Uh, oh, Shit, you. Why you do this to me? Um, okay, here yeah um it, 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 it's now now i'm gonna sound like I'm kissing ass after all the digging I did <laughs> earlier <laughs> but uh there is some look like a good search a good search of Soleil show on a good night is like uh is, is a really really beautiful representation of the capacity for, hu- of, of, uh, humanity in the sen- artistically, um, technically, um, the, the things that we're doing with our bodies are like mind blowing, right? Absolutely mind blowing. Um, uh, artistically. Yeah. Like when we, when the, when the clowns are in there and the clowns actually like can share a full range of emotion, then there's, there's the, the, the humanity, the representation of what it means to be a human. See, it sounds very general and, and no, right. When you say it, that's like right. That. But, um, <laughs> it's hard to talk about it without seeing seeming trite, but um, it, it kind of has like that full spectrum of, of what we're capable of. Well, it doesn't have the, 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 the suffering, you know, so I, I take that back. It's not, it doesn't, of course, represent everything because it doesn't represent the suffering or the violence that, that humanity is capable of. But many of the things that we're able to do at our best are encapsulated in a, in a, in a good Cirque du Soleil show. Um,
0: That's beautiful. I think it's the perfect answer. All right. Stuff. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh my god, so thanks for inviting for me. It's very, very thoughtful and kind of you to and I'll be checking out your student on, on Yeah. That.
1: And then also, you know, we have these classes that we're teaching in LA when some of them are online. So if people want to check out, yeah, the idiot, the idiotworkshop.com. Uh there's a couple of classes online that people can take from anywhere. Check that out. All right. Robert, take care, dude. See
0: you soon. What a guy, huh? And what a crazy career at Cirque du Soleil and the entertainment industry. Artists like that, I could really just spend hours listening to their stories. So much experience and knowledge about the craft of the stage. And such little ego too. All talent, no ego. My favorite kind of artists. If you like this episode, please give it a good rating and review. Share the podcast on your socials, with your friends, your family. Spread the word. It really helps Tapirouge Rouge growing. You can find Tapirouge Rouge on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, CircusTalk.com, or wherever you're getting your podcasts. All right, friends. I think that's it for today. Take it easy. If you're having a short night, you know what to do. Rock the house. And until next week, as we say in the circus, see you down the road.